On today's show, was Pascal Siakam the right all-in move for the Indiana Pacers? Plus, grading the Toronto Raptors trade returns for OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam. Plus, the new direction for the team with a young core featuring Scotty Barnes, RJ Barrett, and Emmanuel quickly. And then lastly, a lot of trade rumors swirling about the Atlanta Hawks. Could we see a DeJounte Murray blockbuster or a couple lesser trades for Clint Capella? And very strangely, AJ Griffin, it's all coming up right here at Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every single day. Now, today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates that you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash MBA. That's linkedin.com slash MBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day, whether it's on your way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you so much for being an everydayer and making Locked On NBA part of your day every single day. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Pacers, Tony East. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcast and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Pacers. And Tony, the first big blockbuster trade of this NBA season. Well, maybe second. I think I think it's the biggest blockbuster trade. So James Harden has a word for you, Jackson. Okay, you know what? <laughs> that was that was a foregone. That was that was like a basically an off season move that got shunted. <laughs> it does into feel like it. The NBA season. All right, and I think Siakam's a bit of a bigger name than than OG Ananobi. So here we are. Pascal Siakam, now a member of the Indiana Pacers. Bruce Brown, Jordan Wara. Kira Lewis Jr. Uh, and three future firsts going back to Toronto. But that's not what we want to focus on here. We want to focus on Pascal Siakam. Let's start here. Was this the right all-in move for this Pacers team? Yes or no? And why, Tony? Ooh. Well, if it's an all-in move, it was probably not the right one. I would say it's not an all-in move. Ooh. Why they would, still okay, have Jarris Walker. They still have Ben move. Matherin. They still have Andrew Nemhard. They still have Aaron Neesmith. They still have Jalen Smith, Obi Toppin, Isaiah Jackson, and we'll have three tradable firsts by the 2025 draft. I don't know if it's an all-in move, but I do think it's a great move because okay. of the two Raptors forwards, I have long considered him the better fit with the Pacers than OG. I think OG's a very I think OG's a better fit with a lot of teams. I think Pascal's a better fit with the Pacers because they need a second guy on offense so badly. Halliburton is amazing all the time. But in their wins, someone else has to step up. When they win, and that's fine, but it's not always the same guy. Sometimes it's Miles Turner, sometimes it's Ben Matherin, sometimes it's insert player X. Now they know who fiddle number two is. It's Pascal Siakam. Him and Tyrese Halburn were amazing together last Friday, 26 minutes together in Portland, plus 27. The Pacers were in that stretch. That duo is exactly what they need offensively. And now they have size on defense. Everybody else's defensive position makes a lot more sense. No more Andrew Nemhard guarding Lowry Markkinen because that's literally the best option they have. Everything just falls into place for the Pacers. He's a wonderful fit. Of course, they'll have to deal with the contractual and age concerns going forward. But as a player on paper, he's exactly what they need. And he's been pretty good these first two games. Not only just on paper, but you, you've gotten a two-game look at him now. Now, no Tyrese Halliburton in this in the second matchup. And, and that Suns game, was, we'll, we'll just we'll leave that one. But at least in the, we'll first, get there. <laughs> at least in the first, you know, first outing, when you got a chance to see those two being able to kind of play off of one another, how did how did things look with them sharing the basketball court together? Yeah, Siakam's first basket was pretty funny. He caught it, 
And he tried to dribble towards Halliburton to pitch it to Halliburton. And Halliburton's like, dude, no, go around the screen, score. And he did. He hit a mid-range shot dribbling around Miles Turner. Uh, those two are going to be like a great duo just as a safety valve for each other, right? The thing that they haven't ever been able to do this year, Miles Turner can do it against some players, but Siakam, it's like if you put a 6'4 shorter guy on him, they just are like, yeah, let's, that, that's it. That's our basket right there. So that alone makes things easier. It's harder to switch and mismatch Hunt against the Pacers now. And you already saw that help in that Portland game I was talking about. When Halberton's out there, he can set up anybody. So Miles Turner punished Mitch matches. He had 29 points. He had open threes all night. But he healed it, made six threes. He had a lot easier time having space because, guys, they had to send two to Siakam, right? So not only is this Halliburton-Siakam connection really obvious, like Halliburton can set up anybody. Siakam makes guys' lives easier because he requires attention. But he pairs well with the other vets who make the Pacers good, too. So if their bench was better, they would have won that game. They didn't. But I think his natural pairing with their entire starting five is already shown to make a lot of sense. And then he played the five in Phoenix sometimes. That also looked nice. They're still learning, but it's been a nice start for Siakam in India. How much of a process is this really going to be when you introduce a guy like Siakam, who is you know really effective when he has the ball in his hands, when he's doing things offensively, versus maybe more of a plug-and-play guy that can just kind of come in, do his role? You know, it's it's a lot harder, I think, at times when you have these mid-season trades for a guy like a Pascal Siakam that has to be you know at his best. He is going to be really involved offensively. So the Pacers kind of have to learn on the fly here over the rest of this season to make the most of this, this new acquisition. Yeah. There's two like interesting things to talk about here. One, you know, about since you cover a team, like when guys get traded, they all say the same thing. The hardest thing is like a lot of NBA teams are pretty similar in what they run or how they do it. The terminology is way different, oh, yeah. right? So you, you like sit there and process the word. And you're like, Oh yeah, that's this. And like, that's like a split second, but it matters a lot for timing and, and all that kind of stuff. So, of course, that's going to take a second. The thing about Siakam is, like, he can attack mismatches and get junk buckets really well. Like, I think his number production will be fine, like, right away. It already has been pretty good. But I think the thing that will take an adjustment, one is the Pacers call their offense random action offense. Like, that's hard. You have to, like, get reps in it to understand it. But, two, it's everybody else figuring out, like, wait, when he's doing this, what do I do? Or, like, how do I react to what he does? Because... He can score in these weird post positions that not a lot of forwards can, or he can create his own shot in ways that not a lot of six foot nine guys can. So I think it'll obviously take time for him to figure out what their read and react is for, who he's supposed to play off of, where his shots are going to be, like any player who's traded and learning new words, uh, or at least learning how the words are used on a different team. But I think the other players reacting to him will actually take a little longer just because that's a big change. That's a lot of shots going to one player that previously were not for the Pacers. Bruce Brown doesn't shoot that much. Jordan Ward didn't play. So I think that'll actually be the bigger adjustment is how everybody else bounces off of him going forward. How do you expect that, you know, as far as the the shot diet, right, and where those shots are going to come from, who do you expect to take maybe more of a backseat for this Pacers team going forward? Where do those shots essentially come from to, to fill up uh, Siakam's kind of shot diet here? Yeah, Bruce Brown wasn't even taking 10 a game. Siakam took, I think, 15 in Portland and 14 tonight. So you got to... Six, five shots you got to translate. And that's right now with him not you know, fully understanding. I presume it'll be closer to seven. Uh, I, it's hard to say because the other thing that's happened too is Buddy Heald has started. And it used to be Andrew Nemhard at the two. So I wondered if Nemhard could be the guy who they kind of naturally aligned for defense. I mean, his shots go away. I, I would say maybe the answer is Halberton because he's a natural distributor. But he's their best scorer and offensive player as a self-creator. So naturally with the starters, it has to be one of Aaron Neesmith or Miles Turner and Probably Aaron Neesmith in that case, which is fascinating because he's been one of the best three-point shooters in the league this year. I think really what it's going to be, though, is they're going to stagger the stars. That makes the most sense. Siakam can give them a higher offensive floor when Halberton's not in the game. So I think it's just going to be like 
two from this bench player, two from that bench guy who are now on the floor with Siakam instead of not, and they just watch him be better than them and and score. And I think that's fine. They, they just watch I, him cook. Just let, just let think, him do his thing. But I think that'll take a big adjustment, too. Their depth has been such a strength this season, like most bench points in the league, highest bench field goal percentage in the league. If he subtracts from that in any way, that does require an adjustment. So I think it's the right move to give him those shots, obviously. But what it means for the Pacers right away is they kind of adjust all that and figure it out, get the dominoes in effect, will be really interesting. You just mentioned his name there a moment ago, Buddy Heald. And this is a guy who is uh, no stranger to trade rumors, to, to being involved <laughs> in trades up and down. Oh, boy. All, seven different ways to Sunday, right? What is your gut telling you the outcome is going to be with Buddy Heald as we approach this NBA trade deadline? Is he going to still be a Pacer? If he's not a Pacer, what's the destination that makes the most sense? What's a what's an ideal trade package for him? Because now you You've got this new look Pacers team with Pascal Siakam, you know, in the mix. Does keeping Buddy Heald actually make more sense now going forward for this team? It does. Yeah. Well, it's kind of the thing about the trade deadline is it's when the Pacers lose the ability to control the situation. Right. Like, obviously, Buddy Heald's good and is not pouting and is playing well for them this year. Well, ish. Um, So the thing about that is I think the fact that they're better than everyone thought. I had them at 18 wins by now. They're at 24, firmly in the top eight in the East. Right. If they're going to make the postseason, the value has to be enough in return for them to feel good about trading a contributing veteran away instead of having the value that he provides on the court for those two months and however many games they play in the postseason. You know, if they if the playoffs were like a maybe or the plan was like very obviously in play, it'd be easier. He's on an expiring contract. You have to think about his future, right? But I think if you're good and you feel like maybe you can get a top six seed, you you have to be blown over now. His value is actually higher to them now than it was before the season, even though he's playing worse, which is a really interesting situation. It's just how it is for them. So, you know, the same obvious teams, like if you have a superstar creator on your roster, Buddy Hield's an awesome fit, right? He gets a ton of attention. He makes open threes. He's gone from like a fifth percentile defender to like 15th this year, which isn't, he's not a good defender, but he's better. It's a, mo- um, it's a monumental so- leap for Buddy Hield. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, any team with, you know, it, it playing next to Luca, he would look great playing next to LeBron playing next to any of those guys. He would look awesome, uh, you know, a natural fit in those situations. And uh, who knows what he wants uh, contractually or situationally. Right. But I, I think he's actually more valuable to the Pacers now because of his fit with Siakam. So I think it would have to be a late first in matching salary to me. If you're not getting a first or a young player, there's just no point of doing it if you're the Pacers. So I get that it would be a rental and no team might offer that. So I think he, my gut is that he ends up sticking through the deadline, but if he gets traded, it makes a lot of sense uh, anyway because of his contract status. How will Pascal Siakam look as he continues to adjust to becoming a member of the Indiana Pacers and playing alongside Tyrese Halliburton? Could we still see a Buddy Heald move somewhere down the pipeline? You'll have us covered for all that and so much more over at Locked On Pacers. Tony, thanks for stopping my Locked On NBA with me. Jackson, thanks for having me. Coming up, grading Masai Ujiri and the Toronto Raptors on the OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam trades and the new direction for this team moving forward with a young core of Scotty Barnes, RJ Barrett, and Emmanuel. Quickly, we're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. 
At the start of the new year, every small business owner is asking themselves the same question. What's the one move I can make that'll take my business to the next level in 2024? LinkedIn Jobs knows that your success all depends on the team you surround yourself with. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates candidates so easy that in fact 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn also knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. Thankfully with LinkedIn, the process is intuitive, quick, and easy. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MBA. That's linkedin.com slash locked on MBA to post your job for free terms and conditions apply. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday, some exciting news is Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every single league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Raptors, Sean Woodley. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Raptors. And Sean, the last time we had you on Locked On NBA, you said that there might be a possibility Pascal Siakam stays in Toronto long term. And here we are on the other side of that conversation. Pascal Siakam no longer a member of the Toronto Raptors, traded for a haul that includes Bruce Brown, Jordan Wara, uh, Kira Lewis Jr. and three first round draft picks. So as you're sitting on the other side of that conversation now, just in the aftermath, Siakam is no longer a Raptor. Just walk us through, because Siakam meant a lot to this Raptors organization, not just, you know, we'll get to what the trade meant and kind of grading the evaluations, all that, but just what did Siakam mean to this Raptors team? Yeah, man, Siakam was basically the embodiment of everything that made the Raptors a championship organization back in 2019. He was a guy they drafted with a 27th overall pick and developed through the G League and through sort of careful, methodical winning while developing, you know, team building. And he turned into this incredible, multifaceted and sort of ever evolving star player two-time All-NBA, he's top five for the Raptors in every major category, and he he goes down as an easy top five Raptor of all time, I think, surpassing even like even the likes of like Chris Bosh as far as his contributions to the franchise. It's a big loss, and it's a really stark changing of the era. You know, I get the reasons why this happened, right? He's six years older, seven years older than Scotty Barnes. You know, there there's all that sort of timeline stuff to consider. He's about to get very expensive, obviously, and getting expensive comes with all these different sort of considerations in the NBA these days. I still think the best path for the Raptors was to extend Pascal Siakam and try to trade him down the line for a better haul. I don't think they really got enough for what Pascal Siakam is right now. And I do think there was something there in the Emmanuel quickly, RJ Barrett, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes foursome to start a team with. But 
obviously things were trending differently. The Raptors basically telegraphed the offseason that they did not want Pascal Siakam back. And so I'm disappointed with the way it kind of has ended. It seemed like there was a bit of weirdness between the front office and Pascal Siakam over the last six months or so that kind of soured the relationship. Hopefully bygones can be bygones. It seems like, you know, Pascal Masai Ujiri had a good chat a week before the trade to sort of, you know, smooth things over. But yeah, it's a, it's a weird time watching the Toronto Raptors this week without Pascal Siakam putting up 22, 7, and 5 for them as he has for many, many years now. So at this point then, it, you were kind of against the idea of moving on from Siakam, but what's done is done. It's happened. How would you you mentioned not necessarily getting enough for Siakam. How would you grade, you know, in its in the totality here, Masai Ujiri in, in moving off of OG Ananobi, then subsequently moving off of Pascal Siakam, and now the, the Raptors are kind of loaded up. They've got they've got picks, they've got some assets. Maybe you flip Bruce Brown a little bit further down the line if you don't think he's a, a long-term fit next to kind of this young, this young core that you've got, this young trio. How would you evaluate Masai Ujiri and how he's navigated, you know, this trade specifically, but also kind of at large, the whole situation. Yeah, like I think the Siakam trade for me probably gets like a C plus. Like I do think they got a decent haul considering what the market was and what the circumstances were. But a lot of the circumstances were self-imposed mm. where they sort of nuked their own leverage in the whole situation by not trading him in the summer, by not extending him and sort of, again, telegraphing to the world that they didn't really have interest in extending him. It made it so there was not a very robust market for him. And they misread the market, I think, to not trade him in the summer thinking they could get something better in season that said i do think they really nailed the og and Obi trade and i think emmanuel quickly and rj barrett i mean barrett's just playing unbelievable ball right now for the raptors quickly is settling in nicely to a lead guard role i think in the grand scheme of things you turn og and pascal into quickly barrett bruce brown ak or whatever bruce brown becomes uh jordan warwick kira lewis i think those guys are just kind of salary filler that i'm not sure are going to be around super long term and those three first round picks i think they did Fine, a B plus, something like that. I think I am, however, pretty excited about where things go from here. And that's because there's clarity. I think if anything, the sort of big positive takeaway from what the Raptors have done over the last three weeks is now we know exactly they're trying to do. The team also knows what they're trying to do. The coaching staff knows the direction here. The last two seasons were spent with this cloud of uncertainty hanging over the team. Will they trade Fred Van Vliet? Will they not? Why are they getting Jakob Pertl when they're six games below 500? Are they going to keep him in the summer? What's going on there? Gary Trent Jr. keeps being a free agent every year. OG Ananobi's got a pending contract. Pascal Siakam. All this stuff was just hanging over the team and kind of poisoning everything, frankly. Poisoning the fan experience because you didn't know what to expect or where things were going. Poisoning the sort of room it seemed just because everyone was kind of walking on eggshells wondering okay who's getting traded next and what's happening now there's clarity and there's a young interesting core around Scotty Barnes and I don't think this is going to be one of those prolonged five-year rebuilds where they go and try to play the lotto game I think they have the guy that you tank for they got Scotty Barnes and they have Emmanuel quickly RJ Barrett from there they have these extra picks to work with and I don't think it's going to be this sort of long laborious run for the team to get competitive again I think things are already looking up and right now it kind of feels like as barren as it's going to get for the Raptors and I think that's pretty exciting with those extra assets in the door and the clarity moving forward I do think that is the big win from these series of moves uh, aside from just you know now bottoming out and trying to procure the the best possible draft odds at the end of the season what becomes the goal in your eyes for the rest of this season what should this Raptors group be trying to achieve or trying to find out about itself for the rest of this season 
Well, I don't think they're going to try to bottom out, first of all. Like, they don't have their pick. It's a top six protected pick to the San Antonio Spurs. And yes, you could say, well, you're not that far away from the bottom six. You could get in there. I just frankly think it's better for the Raptors if they just convey the pick this year and get it out of their lives. Okay. We've been sort of upset about this Jakob Pertle trade, you know, pick that's gone out the door for the last year, relitigating the Jakob Pertle trade over and over again. And if you just get that deal, that 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 sort of trade off your books, that that pick goes to the Spurs. It's like what the eighth, ninth pick, something like that. Maybe they make the plane. I think that's totally on the table as well. Maybe they do give away something in the low lottery. I, I think that's fine. Just move on. You have two picks now in this draft from the Pacers trade. You also have the first or second pick in the second round from the OG Ananobi trade as well. And so I think they're well stocked with picks in this year's draft, but they don't need to go and fight to scrape, scrape and claw and keep this pick. And I do think this is the type of franchise that does not like to tank. They they did in Tampa because, you know, the world forced their hand a little bit a few years back and they got Scotty Barnes with some lotto luck. I don't think they have an appetite to go and try to lose. I think what they're going to try to do, and Masai Ujiri kind of said this in his press conference after the trades this week, they're going to try to just let them see what this group has. Let them cook, see what's there. Maybe there's a move before the deadline, but I don't think we're going to see Scotty Barnes shut down prematurely. I don't think there's going to be phantom injuries ruling guys out of the lineup i think they're going to make an earnest go at the plan and have the pick convey in all likelihood and go into the summer with all of their picks unencumbered going forward where they can then work with the extra picks that they have from this trade and maybe see if they can try to add the types of players they've been looking for which are young ready to contribute sort of established guys like quickly like barrett I think that's sort of the next step in the Pascal Siakam trade. Masai Ujiri said he's likely not going to make all the picks they have in this upcoming draft. I think their goal here is to find players who fit with Barnes, who fit with Quickly, who fit with Barrett long term. And I think those picks are going to be a way they do that. And I don't think they're going to go out of their way to drop down the lotto odds, especially considering all of the bonuses that come with just getting this pick out of their lives, no longer a worry thing hanging over their head. And again, at a draft that everyone kind of agrees is not all that stacked up at the top anyway. Will the new look Raptors be able to make a push for the NBA play-in tournament with quickly Barrett and Scotty Barnes, the new little trio in Toronto? Will Bruce Brown be on the move or is he going to stick around long-term in Toronto? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked On Raptors. Sean, thanks for stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Anytime, man. Coming up, Atlanta Hawks trade deadline rumors. So many rumors swirling about the Atlanta Hawks. Could we see a DeJounte Murray blockbuster deal or perhaps a couple lesser deals centered around Clint Capella or very strangely, second year young promising player AJ Griffin? It's all coming up here in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Look, around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right in our lives. Therapy helps you find your strengths so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. I've done therapy in my own life and found it a really helpful thing for me personally. So if you're thinking of trying therapy, give BetterHelp a shot. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress that you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA today to get 10% off your very first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash locked on NBA. 
Today's episode is also brought to you by FanDuel. NFL postseason action is underway, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed, guaranteed, when you place just a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose, and all you have to do is wager $5. It's that simple. The app is so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet, like live, same-game parlay. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. Make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays and so much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get in on the NFL postseason action. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. Be sure to stay tuned in throughout the week right here at Locked On NBA for all the NBA news, breakdowns, and analysis provided by our rotating panel of hosts, including Matt Moore and David Ramil on Tuesdays, John Corrales and Jake Madison on Wednesdays, Nick Angstad and Pat the Designer on Thursdays, and Wes Goldberg and Adam Marez on Fridays. Joining us now is the host of Locked On Hawks, Brad Roland, who can track down wherever you listen to your podcast and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Hawks. And Brad, one of the headliners going into this NBA traded line is none other than DeJounte Murray, who seems like he's involved in you know trade rumors with all 29 other teams in the association at this point. It feels like he's popping up in trade rumors left, right, and center. But... Let's start here before we get into some of the reported trade interests from some of the other teams around the association. Why hasn't the the pairing of, of Trey Young and DeJounte Murray worked to this point? So much so to where, you know, the Atlanta Hawks did their own version of an all-in trade in trading for DeJounte Murray. And now it seems like they're kind of backpedaling and moving away from that pairing. Yeah, it seems like it. And uh, it feels like it's kind of a multifaceted I hesitate to use the word failure because it could have gone worse. You know what I mean? It's not like it hasn't gone. Uh, it's, not, it's not like the first percentile outcome, but it has not gone particularly well. I think the theory of it, honestly, was the primary failure. They, they kind of thought that DeJounte Murray was going to be able to both lift their offense with and without Trey on court and also really kind of maybe not solve, but mostly solve the perimeter defensive issues. Not necessarily on his own, but um, and neither one of those things has really happened. I think that Murray has done his job to lift them them offensively when Trey sits, but the pairing with them together has not worked out very well offensively. They're still fine on offense, but for a team that's built to be a top five, top six offense, they've not been as good as they probably should have been with their best two players on the court together. Usually your offense needs to be at its absolute best when your top two guys are playing together, and it hasn't been that way. And then on defense, Murray has underwhelmed. I would say he's not a total disaster, but the theory of him really lifting up the defense on, at the point of attack has just not happened. He's best suited. I think at this point as a point guard, uh, on both ends of the floor, honestly, I think he's more comfortable with the ball in his hands on offense and on defense. He's big enough to where he can kind of fake it on wings, but I think he's better primarily against smaller guys. So all of that thrown into a, in, in a mixture with other problems on the roster. It's not just these two guys. They haven't been good enough, though, to lift the entire case up together. Does any of his recent play, some of the game winners, does, does that does any of that lead lend to the idea that he might make it past this trade deadline, or is he pretty much as good as gone at this point? Do you think? I, I think that it's possible that they keep him, but I, I would hope if you are a fan of process that I am, the, that the Hawks wouldn't overreact to DeJounte making a pair of game winners. Obviously big shots and um, the shots that he made were kind of DeJounte Murray shots. Like he's actually quite good at hitting pull-up jumpers off the dribble. Like that's actually one of his better skills, just kind of floor raising offensively, taking those, those difficult shots. 
but this team is still underwater for the season and I wouldn't overreact to that. But look, as much as it has been reported out there, I've heard the same thing that it is likely he gets traded. I, I've never thought it was a, a, an absolute lock. It's and we're not, we're not to the point where they're at the, the one yard line at this point. Like I think that they could still change directions, but you know, here we are in, you know, late January, I think it's still more like more likely than not that he gets moved, but we're not at the uh, definite portion of the program at this point. What's your read on, I guess, kind of the relationship, the chemistry between at this point, Trey young and DeJounte Murray, that backcourt, because in one of those uh, game winning uh, clips, the highlights, you kind of saw Trey's reaction when DeJounte got the inbounds pass and drew and, and, you know, dribbled the ball up and took the game winner himself. And Trey didn't even make it across half court on that final possession. Is there, is there animosity between those two guys or, what's their relationship like at this point? Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily an issue of their relationship. That that play got a lot of attention. I, I, I saw the same thing you did. He actually got asked about it. So did Quinn Snyder. If you, if you see a different angle, Snyder's trying to call a timeout, and Trey thought they were about to call a timeout. That's, that's kind of a very niche thing. I wouldn't worry too much about that one in particular. I think that um, not necessarily just Trey and Ajante, but they just don't fit that well together. I think they get along fine. Um, all of the messaging has been upbeat in sort of on the record, especially when DeJounte arrived. But even this summer, they were kind of, you know, all on the same page um, in terms of being outward. But I think that if you gave them true serum, they probably know that they both they, they don't fit together perfectly at this point. They were excited about it. They're both rep by clutch. They have they have connections together. But I think they're you know, it's not like it's going particularly well. And um, it's kind of a, a separate topic in some ways. But um, a lot of the messaging is like, you know, how would the Hawks put? possibly move off from DeJounte Murray when, when he just signed there for four years as if the Hawks are the only side that's interested in that. And I think if you read between the lines on all this stuff, I think Murray and his camp are also pretty open, if not eager, to get out of there as well. So it's it's kind of a multifaceted, behind-the-scenes NBA intrigue kind of thing right now. Of all the teams with r- rumored, reported interest in DeJounte Murray, which of them makes the most sense from a potential, you know, a new home for Murray, but also just as a trade partner for Atlanta? And, and if you're looking at this through the Atlanta lens, I mean, do they have to recoup equivalent value to what they sent out for DeJounte Murray? Is that kind of sunk cost at this point where you just got to do the best with what you can at this deadline if you want to move him? Yeah, I think on the Hawks side, if you're looking for the full return, um, that is not likely to me. I think the Hawks, number one, the consensus in the in the industry, I'm not sure if you're the same thing I did, but people were not necessarily appalled by the price tag. But it was like, hey, that's a lot for DeJounte Murray when, when, they, when they made the deal. They, it was two unprotected picks three altogether plus a picks plus pick swaps. And like they gave up essentially all they could have for DeJounte Murray. They paid a hefty price. If it wasn't overpay, it was certainly full price. And I think that a year later, um, he has less cheat control. He has, he has longer, actually longer control on his contract, but he's has more like appropriately paid moving forward than he was when he was very cheap coming over to San Antonio. And also given that the pairing hasn't worked, teams know that, et cetera. I think that they, they, they're, they, they will get a real return from him. But I think if you, size up whatever they get for him. It's not going to be exactly as much as they got um, sort of as they sent out. And hopefully they wouldn't wait for that because like you said, it is kind of a sunk cost. The deal already happened. You can't worry about that now other than for PR speak. But as far as like teams are concerned, I think the Lakers are the team that I've heard the most. They are the team that I think might be the most motivated. Of course, there's the clutch factor, which is part of the mix. No matter what you want to say, it definitely is part of the mix. They're buying. They want to win now. They don't have a point guard like DeJounte, all that stuff. I think that one kind of makes the most sense on the whole but they don't have the greatest package for the Hawks. If you're the Hawks, there are teams that I would be interested in, but they don't necessarily match up perfectly with what they, with what Atlanta wants. Then you have these teams that like like Brooklyn's a sleeper team that hasn't been, hasn't had a ton of heat. But like if I'm Brooklyn, 
I kind of like the fit of DeJounte Murray. Um, I think like, like the Knicks, I don't actually don't love Murray there, but they have a very logical offer for him with Evan Fournier's expiring contracts and picks and all that stuff. So it's kind of like eye of the beholder. If you're the Hawks, you want a lot for him and teams, maybe not the Lakers can't like offer that much, but if you have to sort of align with the team that wants DeJounte and also at least, at least for me as an objective basketball observer, DeJounte should be playing point guard and kind of be the main ball handling guard on the team that he goes to, which means you're hoping for like, maybe that team has like a primary wing, like a LeBron, for instance, or like a McKill Bridges in Brooklyn, that kind of thing. I, th- I think what you did, what, what, at least for, if I'm Murray, I would want to play next to another point guard, like New York, Jalen Brunson, for instance, Philadelphia, Tyrese Maxey. I wouldn't love that. I kind of just did that. It didn't work very well. Yeah, that's part of the reason that the pairing, at least in Atlanta, had to this point hasn't quite worked uh, with two kind of ball do- guys who are better when they are ball dominant, right? In Trey Young and and Dejounte Murray. The Hawks, though, have a couple other names that are also, you know, drumming up some buzz on the trade market. Center Clint, Clint Capella, and then also uh, second year guard AJ Griffin. Uh, who the AJ Griffin one is confusing to me, Brad. What what happened for AJ Griffin to fall so far from grace after what seemed like a really solid rookie campaign? The Clint Capella stuff makes sense, right? Like you you have sure. Anyeka Kongwu. You said it yourself when you were on Locked On NBA a couple weeks back, where you were like you were surprised that the trade hasn't happened yet. So Clint Capella is a name that's receiving some buzz, but but make the AJ Griffin bit make sense for me, Brad. This part this is the one I can't wrap my head around. Look, nobody can, to be honest. Now, the, the one thing I will say, there's just a, there's kind of a mystery here. I don't mean that in a nefarious way, but AJ had like a multi-week personal absence during this season. Um, he wasn't playing a lot before that anyway, which was already a little bit strange. And I was kind of flagging, like, this is kind of this is kind of odd that he's not playing after what you accurately said was a good rookie season. Like he was in the top 12, 13 rookies last year, just like pr- productivity minutes. He was efficient on a decent team. And usually that's a good stepping stone for a guy who's a first-year player. But um for whatever reason, whether it's where was the personal absence when he went out, when, when that was when he was gone for a couple of weeks, they were positive about the messaging, but we, we still don't know why we don't have to know it's a personal absence, but we don't know why. And when he came back, he's he's essentially not played at all when it comes to actual rotation minutes as he came back. Now, some of that, maybe that he just didn't play a lot of basketball for a couple of weeks and he was already not playing that well. And you kind of fall behind. That's certainly possible. Quinn Snyder does not love to play young guys either. Like even dating back to Utah, he was not always the um, the most accommodating to young players. So maybe that's part of this too. The Hawks are trying to win now. They're not winning, but they're trying to win now. For instance, so it's like all these conflicting factors. But it does look odd. Like you're you're the tone you're asking me makes a ton of sense. If I'm on the outside, even I watch this game every day. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense when we take sort of a half step back and you watch guys like Wes Matthews and Garrison Matthews and Patty Mills play minutes over AJ Griffin. It just doesn't sit well for a team that, again, has 18 wins and is not playing that well. So I don't have a good answer for you, but I will say since he went away from the personal absence, he literally has not played a single rotation minute. And I think that is not a coincidence, I wouldn't imagine. So I'm not sure what to do moving forward trade-wise. They also haven't sent him in the G League. I, I would have considered sending him in the G League at this point because he is so young. You want him, you kind of want him to play. It's kind of odd that he's not playing. So we'll see. But yeah, it wouldn't stun me if he was available in trade. You know, most of his team is available in trade other than Trey, Trey Young and Jalen Johnson. But with them not playing AJ, it kind of would make some sense to kind of move on, maybe start start over again for the player more than anything else. 
Will we see a blockbuster DeJounte Murray trade ahead of the NBA trade deadline? Will Clint Capella and uh, why am I blanking on the name? We were just talking about it. AJ Griffin. There we go. AJ Griffin. I, I drew the biggest brain fart at the end of the segment. That's incredible. I, I, I was like, I was like DeAndre Hunter. Like, where do you want to go <laughs> just, on this? Just, just, yeah, you can just you can just pick any name, throw the names into a hat, and draw a name out. Will any of these players still be members of the Atlanta Hawks after the trade deadline? You'll have us cover all of that and so much more over at Locked On Hawks. Brad, thanks for stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Just search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.